On today's show, an examination of the weekend in football and how all of these games are won and lost. Before we get there, I want to give you one reason today why gambling should be legal everywhere. There's an old saying, Monday is the day we get ready for Saturday. It's because Saturday has college football and college football is a fantastic sport to gamble on. Now, this coming Saturday, we're already getting prepared because today's Monday. And again, I take that saying very seriously. Arkansas is hosting Texas A&M, technically hosting, but they're playing at Jerry World in Arlington, Texas. Neutral site game between the two. Arkansas Razorbacks are six-point underdogs. And I'll be taking that plus six because I'm following my heart here. Um, Arkansas pounding on Texas two weeks ago in front of a crazy Fayetteville crowd. It stirred a lot of emotions within me. Because I'm a big football fan, because I like when teams that aren't necessarily good are rising up and beating teams that should be good. I also have a Woo Pig Suey shirt. It's a little hog. It says Woo Pig Suey in big letters. Nobody knows what it means because I live in Utah. However, it's still another great reason to follow my heart here. I also want to do a transitive math equation because I'm a man who loves numbers. Two weeks ago, Texas A&M played against Colorado. Had to eke out a win. They lost their starting quarterback. They score a touchdown right near the end of the game to win by three. Okay, what does it mean? I'm looking at this and trying to make sense of it, putting the numbers out. Last weekend, Colorado plays against Minnesota. Minnesota, reasonable team. I don't think anybody mistakes them for a powerhouse. However, Colorado has 63 yards of offense in this game. They're shut out by the Minnesota Golden Gophers. So now I'm trying to make sense of this equation going, okay, Colorado almost beat AM. They had 63 yards. Uh, okay, how does Arkansas factor in? It's a convoluted equation, I'll admit. However, I love math, and I'm betting Arkansas plus six, and I have my reason why gambling should be legal everywhere, because when I was young, my math teacher told me that math would be useful as an adult. And if this transitive math equation that I've done, carry the two, subtract the three, divide this and that, if it's not useful here, then I'm going to have to find Mr. Bingham and call him a liar, and I really don't want to do that. And now, Sports with Chris Rawl. Welcome to Monday on the Margins. I'm doing something new today, and I will be doing it every Monday throughout the remainder of this football season. I have watched football closely my entire life. I have gambled intensely on football for the last 15 years. During this time, I have made some determinations about this sport. Uh, The biggest trap that you can fall in as a fan of football, as a gambler on football, is thinking that anything will come easy. It's kind of the lure of the sport, uh, lures you in, reels you in. It's also something that will drive you to insanity because these games are decided by things that are truly, indeed, insane. I find it important to discuss this very fact, how these games are won and lost, how they're decided on the fringe, on the margins, because this is where opinions are founded and formulated for people who won a lost a football game and what their record is on the season. This is where the majority of opinions in sports come from, the most basic level. Now, a lot of people don't really move beyond this. And so a team that is 11 and 2 at the end of the season is good and a team that is 5 and 6 is bad. Now, however, starting today, I want to do something that again I'm going to be doing every single Monday after the weekend in football which is an examination of the strange little things that decide these football games, 
whether it's the players themselves, whether it's coaches, whether it's refs, whether it's weather. Go down the list of all these things, anything and everything. And when you actually lay it out every single game and every single week, I want to give the sense and the feeling of how absurd it is that we judge any of this stuff based upon win-loss record. Just the simple binary terms. Who won, who lost. You won. That's a good bet. That's a bad bet. That's a good player, bad player. That's a good coach. That's a bad coach. Good team, bad team. Go on down the list. Okay? So I'm going to start on Thursday night because that's where the weekend begins for me. I'm a man who lives life on the edge. A lot of people, their weekend begins Friday night. Hell no, not here. We start with, thank God it's Thursday football. And we had two games that I'll talk about. First one is an NFL game. Giants on the road against the Washington football game. Now, this game has everything, but we're going to fast forward right to the very end. Where this game ends up being decided. It's by a man named Dexter Lawrence. Defensive lineman. Actually a very good player. However, Washington football team is lining up for the game-winning field goal from 48 yards. Dustin Hopkins. He comes on. He boots it. Uh, It's drifting right. Misses. Game's over. Washington loses. Giants win. Big breakthrough for Daniel Jones, who played a great, fantastic football game in his own right. I owe him an apology from stuff I said last week. Oh, wait. No. Dexter Lawrence, who is on the Giants field goal block unit, has a little jump before the snap. Flag out on the field. Offsides defense. Move it from 48 to 43. Dustin Hopkins stays on the field. Final play of the game. Kicks a 43-yard field goal. Game over. Washington football team wins. This is how these games are decided. Okay? Now, in the NFL, we always like to talk about quarterbacks and how they led their team to victory or how they led their team to defeat. A thing that I just continually rail against, as you all know, because you listen to the show. Uh, And in this game, again, it was probably one of the best games I've watched Daniel Jones play for the New York Giants against a fearsome Washington football team pass rush. Uh, He's calm. He's collected. He's composed. He's not doing the crazy stuff that he's known for. And he puts the Giants in position to win. And then a defensive lineman jumps off sides. On the other side, Taylor Heineke. Uh, He's starting for the injured Ryan Fitzpatrick. He actually plays a pretty reasonable football game. Does a close approximation of everything that Ryan Fitzpatrick does in a game. Good and bad. The bad, a crippling interception with about three minutes to go on the clock. That Washington is nursing a lead and now the Giants are right there in field goal range. However... There's still time on the clock, and Washington has their timeouts. And oh wait, Jason Garrett, the offensive coordinator of the Giants, says, we're already in field goal range. Throw on the emergency break. Let's just run it, run it, get out of here, kick a field goal. They give the ball back to Washington with time on the clock. Taylor Heineke leads him down the field now. They get in position for this Dustin Hopkins miss, then make. This is how this stuff is decided. And I want to make a quick little sidebar note to all of you. Please, 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 please especially when it comes to the NFL. Remember that quarterback performance is always separate from a team's win or loss. Daniel Jones is on the losing end because Dexter Lawrence jumped off sides. Taylor Heineke gets a win as starter in the game where he threw what could have been the game-deciding interception. Okay? Same night. You want to talk about how these games are always decided on the margins. Let's talk about it when it comes to gambling. A moment that most people probably wouldn't be paying attention to whatsoever unless they had money writing on the total because 
University Louisiana Lafayette and Ohio Bobcats, they're playing a game. The total points scored in this game is set at 56 and a half, which is where I bet it, which is where I bet the under, which is why I'm very, very, very tuned into this game at, at the very end. Because ULL is pounding on the poor Ohio Bobcats. They're up 42 to 14. Half a point below the total. And yet, for some strange re- reason, Billy Napier, the coach of ULL, he's running hurry up. With under two minutes to go, he's going for it on a fourth and eight at the Ohio 33 with a minute 15 to go, which ULL gets. And now they're running to the line, literally running to the line to try and score a touchdown when they're already up 28 points on the Ohio Bobcats, which they proceed to do with under a minute to go, running a hurry up offense up by 28 against a team that they were favored by 20 and a half points, a team they were expected to stomp into oblivion. And they score a touchdown, totals busted. 49-14 final. Everybody who bet the over, good bet. Everybody who bet the under, me included, bad bet. This is how these things are decided, okay? We move on to Saturday. When for some people, the weekend starts, but again, not for me. I'm already deep, deep into the weekend at this point. I have Kent State plus 23 against the Iowa Hawkeyes. Kent State puts up an admirable performance. In the context of being a 23-point underdog. Again, this is relative to the spread. Pivot point when it comes to the spread. Kent State in the second half, they're actually making this a football game. They drive down there at the Iowa 1. Oh no, they fumble going into the goal line. Still, I feel like I'm covering this bet throughout the game. Iowa, we know their offense, not known for explosion, not known for the ability to throw down field from Spencer Petras. And yet, Kirk Ferentz, much like Billy Napier, chooses five minutes to go in a game that Iowa is already up 16, it's over, to open up the offense. Spencer Petras, who throws for 150 yards a game. This game, congrats to him, he threw for 200. However, 62 of those come on two throws with under five minutes to go. They're uncorking it downfield, 48-yarder down the sideline. They're getting... What amounts to a hurry-up offense for Iowa, which is just throwing the ball. It's different different terms for them than it is for ULL. However, they score a touchdown with four minutes left. So now they are up 22, pending the extra point, which will put it on the push number for all the gamblers out there. And I'm already mad about it because I have Kent State plus 23. And I'm cursing the powers that be going, how could you screw me out of this? How am I going to get a push out of this? And because the universe is cruel and it likes to treat gamblers like uh, like scum, you know, and it likes to toy with our emotions, it's not enough to just have the kicker come in and kick the extra point and we go home with a push. No, the kicker has to come in and kick it and it's going at the upright. And now I'm kind of getting sucked back in going, could it be? Could it be? And it hits the upright and now my heart's jumping up in my chest and now the ball's going and I can't tell if it's through. And then the refs are signaling it's good. And I was somehow reeled back into this bet that I thought I'd won all game. Then I thought it had pushed. Then I thought I maybe had won again. And then it actually ended up pushing. This is how these games are decided. I cannot stress this enough, ladies and gentlemen. The biggest game of the day when it comes to the national title picture was Alabama going on the road against the University of Florida. Very, very, very good football game. One that came down to the wire from an outright perspective. Spread, easily covered by Florida. 14 and a half point underdogs. However, the game is in doubt at the end. Now, when we're talking about funky stuff 
in the game, in the sport of college football. Extra points are a thing that are taken for granted that never should be when it comes to college kickers. I saw a stat near the end of the day from Chris Vanini, where at that point in time, this was before the night games had finished, eight teams had missed extra points on Saturday. Eight different teams, including my Nebraska Cornhuskers, who couldn't kick a ball with no one on the field from half an inch away from the field goal post. So Florida misses an extra point in the first half. Interesting. Let's make note of that. And indeed, it comes back to to bite them because at the end, they score a touchdown. And now they're down two instead of one. And they're having to go for a two-point conversion to tie up the clock. This is in the midst of all these outrageous circumstances. The clock goes out at the stadium. Nobody knows what is actually the time is that's left. We can't tell on the broadcast. The clock's just ticking like a clock connected to a bomb. They can't stop it. So now they're going, they're keeping the clock in the field. We don't know what the time is. Just don't worry about it. This is 2021. We have technology at our disposal that can do anything, and we can't keep time for a football game. So it comes down to a two-point conversion. Florida has played an incredible second half on the offensive side of the ball. They pounded Alabama in a way that Alabama does not get pounded. From a schematic perspective, they called a lot of really, really, really good and smart plays in in ways that effectively picked at the Alabama defense. However, when it came down to the most important play of the game, nobody understands what it was because they ran a zone read that wasn't really a zone read. Uh, Emory Jones and Malik Taylor, quarterback, tailback of Florida, They run a zone read, which normally you have a mesh point that you read, and then you either hand it off to the tailback or you keep it and you run. And instead, they both just kind of walk together towards the line, and nobody makes a read, and they walk together like the world's worst marriage down the aisle, and they just walk into the line and get tackled, yards short, not even close. That was it. Alabama gets the ball back, runs out the clock. That's the game. That's how this stuff's decided. Now, it is important to note for purposes of the college football season moving forward. Alabama did look vulnerable for the first time in a very long time. They were outgained by 109 yards. They were outrushed 245 to 91. Pretty crazy because we know how dominant this Alabama team has been. They jumped out to a 21-3 lead in the game. And after the first quarter, Florida controlled the last three quarters of that game. Interesting little note to make. All right. Hopefully this season is not the runaway that we thought it was going to be at the start of the year for Alabama or for any other of these powerhouse teams that have not looked good so far, whether Ohio State, Clemson. And yet, even with Alabama's vulnerability, I see a stat from Brad Edwards of ESPN after the game. Alabama hasn't trailed at any point in its last 49 quarters of play, which is the longest streak for any FBS team since 1960, end quote. <laughs> Vulnerable and yet take it with a grain of salt. The team has not trailed in over 12 games of football. But Florida takes them down to the wire and comes up short on an ill-advised two-point conversion. What that means moving forward, we'll see for both of these teams. Now, the sport of football is interesting in a variety of ways. One of the ways is that I, a person who has watched it my entire life, I'm a 35-year-old person, will see things every Saturday and every Sunday. And I will remark to the people that I'm watching these games with, I don't think I've ever seen that before, which seems statistically incomprehensible because I watch football very closely and have done so for 
30 years. Memphis and Mississippi State play a game on Saturday. Comes down to the wire from an outright perspective. And the margins that decide this game, Mississippi State, they end up losing by two points. They have a failed two-point conversion right at the very end. Memphis wins. Thrilling game. The margins that decide this game is a 95-yard punt return touchdown in the fourth quarter by Calvin Austin. I say punt in air quotes for those of you who are listening. I say return in air quotes. I say everything in air quotes. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Okay? (laughs) Calvin Austin, who plays for the Memphis Tigers. It's about the middle point of the fourth quarter. Mississippi State is punting. Kick it down the field. Clear, clear, clear. Everybody on Memphis gets away. Mississippi State player touches it. Another one touches it. A ref's running in. He's waving his arms over his head. It's the signal. Play is dead. Let's move on. Calvin Austin, who plays for Memphis, who wears the number four. That's important to note, as I will explain later. He realizes they haven't fully possessed it, so I can run in and grab it with no penalty. However, the ref is waving the play dead, so we're not fully sure what to do with that. Calvin Austin streaks in as the Mississippi State players are just standing looking at the ball, picks it up, and runs off. So now the ref that's waving the play dead kind of stops and goes, I don't know what to do. Calvin Austin is streaking down the sideline. They're letting the play go now, and he's returning it. I'm happy because I have Mississippi State plus three and a half. Touchdown. The crowd's going, I don't know. This is sweet, but is this a touchdown? Now, again, the ref had waved the play dead. This is something that if taken to review, they could easily have overturned because they say, oh, that ref... They waved the play dead, so we actually have to abide by that ref's decision at the time, wrong or right. Instead, they don't review it. Another interesting note is that Calvin Austin wears the number four. There's another player on Memphis who wears the number four, who was on that same punt return field at the exact same time. For those of you who do not know, that is a penalty to have two players wearing the same number on the field at the exact same time. So not only did the ref botch the initial call and then let it go, They botched another call that also would have negated this 95-yard return touchdown that ended up being the decisive margin in the game. So we talk about player gaffes or coaching gaffes all day and all night, and yet referees do the exact same thing in their jobs over and over and over and over and play a large and vital outcome or large and vital role in the outcome. We don't know what targeting is in football. We don't know what a personal foul is in football. We don't know what taunting is in football. We don't even know what a legal punt return formation or jersey numbers are in football. And yet these are the things that end up deciding who wins and who losses or loses. And then based upon that, this is where opinions are formulated. In that same vein of insanity... There's always just endings every week in college football and the NFL where you just go, yep, <laughs> we don't know how it's going to end. We just know that something weird's going to happen. SMU, Louisiana Tech. Yeah, it comes down to a Hail Mary. SMU's trailing and they have the ball at the 30-something and there's no time on the clock and they just chuck it up in the air and a receiver punches it up and another one grabs it. And it's one of those insane endings that now SMU has won the football game and Louisiana Tech has lost. One of multiple endings every Saturday that you just go, well, that's college football for you. You move on. And the team that has no business winning has just won. And the team that has no business losing has lost. And at the end of the season, 
Louisiana Tech will have an extra loss in their column and SMU will have an extra win. And coaches could possibly get fired simply because of that number. And we could use that as something down the road and say, that's, well, look at their record in this season and they had a loss here. And that's what this stuff is decided by. Sometimes it's just a Hail Mary. A game that represents the outride and against the spread combination. When both of them are decided simultaneously. Auburn against Penn State. Great game. Saturday night. Saturday was a very good day of football. Just didn't really stop. Penn State is favored by five. They're hosting the Auburn Tigers in that game. In the third quarter, Penn State punts the football on third down. I know you're hearing that and saying, he must have misspoken because sometimes Chris fumbles his words. No, I did not misspeak. Penn State punted in the third quarter on third down. Okay, it's 2021. I can't stress this enough. We have technology at our disposal. I have a laptop in front of me that could do anything that you could ever possibly conceive of. And yet in this game, Penn State has an intentional grounding on first down, which is loss of down and distance. Everybody knows this. That's fine. The refs, for reasons unknown, decide that this first down intentional grounding not only takes away down one, but down two. So now it's marked as third down. Penn State's playing their second down play is third down. They don't know this. The markers on the side say third down. So they run a second down play, and now it's fourth down. And James Franklin, the coach of Penn State, is put in the predicament where he's trying in real time to argue with the refs about whether or not it's third down or fourth down. Literally the most basic thing that a referee could possibly be in charge of is what down it is. And the refs are saying, no, no, it's fourth down. You should probably set your punt unit out. And James Franklin's saying, I don't think so. I think it's third down. And they're saying, nope, it's fourth down. And the play clock's ticking, so you better send out your punt unit. And he sends out his punt unit and punts on third down because the refs did not know that it was actually third down. So that's already happened. Again, things that help decide the outcome of football games that we bet on and root for. Crazy. Well-played football game outside of this. Auburn is down eight with minutes to go. They're driving. Again, remember, Penn State favored by five. So Auburn is driving for the potential tie. And if they score a touchdown, even if they don't get the two-point conversion, they will cover. They get down to the two-yard line. It's fourth and goal. Auburn has ran the ball well all day. Best player on their offense is Tank Bigsby, their tailback. And for some reason, Auburn decides to call a fade pass on this particular play. With Bo Nix as their quarterback, who is not known for his deft touch, although he played a reasonable game. And they call a fade route. The worst call that anybody can ever call. Everyone knows this. It's a statistically low probability that you complete a fade in general. It's just kind of a wing and a prayer type play. And they're calling it from the two-yard line. On this particular play, Bonix throws it about 15 yards over his receiver head, who gets tangled up with the corner on him. Goes sailing out of there. No touchdown. Penn State minus five survives. Penn State outright survives. And this is the kind of stuff that decides football games. I'll mention one more thing from Saturday that must be discussed. Because... People who watch football in general, it doesn't matter how closely you follow the story, you can easily understand anything that affects the game outright. 
there's a lot of stuff that go into gambling that you're not necessarily aware of unless you are tuned into a particular bet or a line, uh, whether that's player props or half totals or spreads or that kind of stuff. Now, there was an all-time moment when it comes to the world of gambling on Saturday night as University of Georgia is hosting South Carolina, a game that was not particular close, nor was it expected to be. Georgia is an 18-point favorite in the first half of this game. Now, South Carolina plays a reasonable first half. They are down 21-6 to with 24 seconds remaining in the half. Georgia punts the ball down. They down at the one-yard line. So South Carolina, they're covering. They're down 15 points, but they're covering a plus 18 in the first half. They have the ball at their own one. Again, there's 24 seconds to go, and University of Georgia has only two timeouts, okay? I say all of this stuff so you can understand. Georgia does not have enough timeouts to completely stop the clock if South Carolina does what any normal team with even a pea-sized brain would do, which is sneak it into the line. There's no upside on this drive. There's 24 seconds to go. The best thing we can do is sneak it into the line, let the clock run out, get into the half down 15, and feel reasonable about this. Convince ourselves we can score a touchdown coming out. It's a one-possession game. We're right in this thing with one play. It's also important to note that South Carolina at this point in the game is now playing with their backup quarterback because Zeb Nolan, he got injured early in the game. So not only are they backed up at their own one with 24 seconds to go in the half against a team that does not possess all of their timeouts, they are doing this with their backup quarterback, which they proceed to call a play action pass where he fakes a handoff and sits in the end zone for what seems like time in all eternity against the best defense in the nation where he is, after multiple seconds of not understanding that this is the end zone, he is sacked for his safety. Okay? So, those of you who are following all of these numbers, you still understand, hey, you're still within the number. Safety, that's worth two points. So now it's 23 to six. Georgia's up by 17. If you have a South Carolina plus 17 ticket or plus 18 ticket, you are still covering by one point. <laughs> and you just can't write up a script like this because... Georgia gets the ball back on this safety kick with 15 seconds to go. Utilizing these two timeouts, they run three quick passes to get into field goal range. They kick a field goal as time expires to go up by 26-6, thus covering the minus 18 first half spread. Just an unreal series of events. This is the difference between a good bet and a bad bet in people's minds. When I talk to people who don't necessarily gamble, they'll always look at it in terms like this. It's a good bet if you won. It's a bad bet if you lost. And I try to tell them about things like this and they go, yeah, whatever. You're just an insane person. And that part is true. However, the difference between winning and losing, whether outright or against the spread, this is what all of this stuff boils down to, okay? It's not exclusive to the college game. Yesterday, Sunday, NFL, feed it to me. The entire day. The NFL is just the best sport. But it also relies upon the insanity of these margins. Whether against the spread, the Colts are playing the Rams, the Colts, I have them plus four. And we have a moment that I, I remark to my brother who I'm watching it with. I say, I don't think I've seen that. The Rams are up by three at the start of the fourth quarter. 
They've kind of controlled play up until this point. They're punting in their own end zone. And what happens? Their long snapper snaps it into their up man who's just standing there and it bounces off the side of him. They're not trying to run a fake. I must be very clear here. They bang it off the side of the up man and it just flubs out there and the up man runs off. He doesn't even notice it, strangely enough. And Indianapolis runs in and recovers it for a touchdown to go up by four. They end up losing the game by three, but obviously this is the margin that cashes an Indianapolis Colts plus four ticket. A good bet (laughs) because a long snapper snapped it off an up man. Refing plays an incredible part of the NFL game, sometimes even more so, it seems, than the college game. They're just as clueless at times. Uh, They're just as flawed in their own jobs as I am in in mine or you are in yours. The Titans and the Seahawks play an incredible back-and-forth game that ends in overtime. Titans win. But for purposes of just the refs in this game, there's a Julio Jones touchdown that's scored by Tennessee on third down. Tannehill throws it at the back of the end zone. Great catch. Ruled a touchdown on the field. Every scoring play is reviewed. We know this. Goes to review. There's a very clear screenshot where his one foot is down well in bounds. His other foot is down close. But again, on a very clear screenshot, his foot is in with a line of green, the grass, which that's in bounds. There's a very clear line of green between his foot and the paint of the end zone. And so somehow there's a 350-year-old bespectacled man sitting somewhere in a booth looking at this, and he can't see, or I'm not sure what's going on there, but he watches this, clear screenshot, and sends back down the information that this is not a touchdown. In fact, he was out of bounds, and now Tennessee Titans are kicking a field goal, which they promptly do, and that's how this kind of stuff happens. In the same game, the Tennessee Titans are a beneficiary of a taunting call downfield that I I still don't know what happened on. The NFL is an organization determined in this offseason that the one thing that football fans would like more than anything in their heart of hearts is taunting to be eliminated from the game. That's the thing that they think we are sitting at home wishing for. And so now they're trying to go out of their way If you look cross-eyed at the player, maybe they'll throw a flag. If you chirp in the direction of who knows who, maybe it's a flag. We don't know. I don't know what taunting is. I don't know what targeting is. I don't know what a touching is. I don't know what any of these things are. And unfortunately, neither do the refs who are in charge of making these calls that affect who wins and who loses outright and who wins and who loses against the spread. When it comes to just the outcome... There's a great game that represents all this stuff that I love. Cardinals and the Minnesota Vikings. A game that featured 9 million twists and turns. You could talk for days about just the incredible stuff that's going on within it on the player side. Kyler Murray, he's out of his mind. He's so fun to watch right now. Rondale Moore, he's starting to make plays. Rookie receiver out of Purdue. John Deere Hopkins, we already know about him. Minnesota, Kirk Cousins is doing stuff. Dalvin Cook's doing stuff. We could talk about the coaching gaffes of Mike Zimmer or Cliff Kingsbury, what any of them are doing. We could talk about, I could talk about this particular game for the entire show. However, what does it come down to? What decides who wins and who loses this game? It's a 37-yard field goal from Greg Joseph, the kicker of the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings are trailing. He has a 37-yard field goal to win the game, and he biffs it. 
Minnesota Vikings have a long, tragic history with field goal kicking in general, regardless of the kicker. I don't know how that could be. I feel very bad for their fan base. He comes in. He just whiffs it. Professional kicker inside 40 yards. Win in the loss column for the Arizona Cardinals. Loss for the Minnesota Vikings. We talk about win-loss record for quarterbacks. And we talk about game-winning drives. And this and this and this and this. And what decides it? If the kicker makes a 37-yard field goal. If he does, Kirk Cousins has another game-winning drive that you can mark down. And he misses it. And now you have another moment that if you wanted to, and you're accumulating all these stats over the course of time, that's another check against Kirk Cousins going, he's bad, he's not clutch. He could never win a Super Bowl. Kirk Cousins, uh, he throws too many picks. And look, look at his record in close games. That's what goes into these games. I've had this conversation about Aaron Rodgers' career because people will pull out stats and say, look at this record when games are decided by a touchdown. And I go, if you truly want to talk about this, I will. However, it will take 24 hours because I will go game by game. Every single one of these games, and I will tell you, most of them probably from memory because, again, I'm an insane person. I will tell you how these games were decided. And the vast majority of the time, it's not as simple as, Aaron Rodgers had the game right in front of him, and then he threw an interception that was bad to the linebacker who was just sitting in the hole. The vast majority of the time, it's decided by something as dumb as a professional kicker who can't make a field goal, or a ref who can look at a replay and say, that's not a touchdown, overturn the call. Okay? At the same time slot, the Cowboys are playing the Chargers. They win. 2017 on a 56-yard field goal from Greg Zerlane at the buzzer. And yet somehow the Cowboys win and Mike McCarthy still loses. I will beat this drum for eternity. It's one of my duties in life to really make everybody comprehend that Mike McCarthy is a professional football head coach and he doesn't understand the simplest of things. It's 17-17, and Dallas has the ball. They give it to Tony Pollard, a run on second down that takes them to the Rams 38 with 33 seconds to go in the game, okay? Cowboys don't have timeouts. However, understanding that if you were to attempt a field goal from there, it would be 56 yards, and that's not a high-probability field goal, even for somebody with a a great leg like Greg Zerline, a, a dude who has actually struggled this season, missed two field goals, The game prior against the Buccaneers, one from distance, 60-some-odd-yard field goal, but another one inside 40 yards. It is a very simple math equation. It is not the convoluted transitive math that I performed at the top of this episode in the gambling segment. It is a very simple math equation to understand. With 33 seconds left, you can still run a play that if you get, let's say, 10 yards, maybe a quick out to one of the best players on your team, Amari Cooper or CeeDee Lamb. How about that? with one of the best quarterbacks in football, Dak Prescott, under center, that if you gain 10 yards, it will improve the statistics of whether or not you will actually make this field goal, changing it from a 56-yarder to a 46-yarder. That's pretty basic math, okay? The closer you get, the higher the percentage is that you will make the field goal. Very basic. And yet they run this play, and the Cowboys are looking over to the sideline for a play call, and... They're kind of bewildered because the staff's not reacting. And Mike McCarthy's 
looking down at the Arby's menu, and he's bewildered because, I don't know, I mean, two for six dollar roast beef's a great deal, right? It's just confusion. And the clock's ticking, and the clock continues to tick, and Mike McCarthy goes, well, let's just let it go down and spike it and attempt a 56-yarder. Even by Mike McCarthy's standards, an astounding thread of logic. Yeah, two for six dollars a roast beef, it's a great deal. Sure, whatever. But we need to pay attention to this football game. And having 33 seconds left on the clock and not trying to run another play to move the ball closer for your field goal kicker when you're trying to attempt a 56-yarder, that's not in your team's best interest. This doesn't matter for the purposes of this game because Greg Zerline bails him out, drills it right down the middle with room to spare. Cowboys win. If you want to look at this strictly in terms of who won and who lost, you would say, great coaching performance by Mike McCarthy. That's why I talk about this stuff all the time. You can win and and barf all over yourself. You can regurgitate the two for six roast beef you just ordered and ate and still win. Just like you can have a great coaching performance and lose, as we saw with Kevin Stefanski last week against the Kansas City Chiefs. I'll go over one more game. The game of the night. Kansas City against Baltimore lived up to the billing. Duel of two MVP quarterbacks. Lamar Jackson throws for 239 yards, one touchdown, two picks. He has 16 carries for 107 yards on the ground and one touchdown. The picks, just atrocious throws early on. Pick six to Teron Matthew right out of the gate. And then a bad throw in the red zone in the first half. Okay. After that, a slew of incredible plays that helped bring his team back and ultimately helped decide the game. On the other side, Patrick Mahomes. He's 24 for 31, 343 yards through the air, three touchdowns, one pick. That pick, terrible, terrible, terrible throw at midfield near the end of the third quarter with the Chiefs up by 11. And it ended up jump-starting the Baltimore rally. They drive down, they score at the start of the fourth off that, and it ends up being one of the swing plays of the game. Now, if you wanted, you could pull bits and pieces from either quarterback's performance. If you pause this game with two minutes to go, okay, and Kansas City is up, or Kansas City is down by one point, and they have the ball in field goal range, if you paused it at that precise moment in time, You could have pulled bits and pieces from either quarterback's performance, Mahomes and Lamar's, as either the reason they won or the reason they lost. Something that is every Monday on every show on ESPN or Fox Sports or Choose Your Affiliate, this is the way that we talk about football games. You could extract whatever you want. It's the Rorschach test, right? Lamar, if you wanted to, you could concentrate on the picks or you can concentrate on these incredible plays on the ground that he makes every single game. Mahomes... You could concentrate on all these throws he made all over the yard. Great throws to Kelsey. Or you could concentrate on that one pick, which was an atrocious play, which helped jumpstart the Baltimore rally. So I pause it at that moment in time because with two minutes to go, everybody feels like Kansas City is going to win, myself included. Again, they're in field goal range. They're down one. Baltimore only has one timeout. Kansas City has a second and three at the Baltimore 32 with a minute 25 to go. 
Baltimore's not going to be able to stop the clock, save for one play. Seems like it's going to come down to a Harrison Butker field goal, which, good kicker, statistics would say, even if they just took knees there, that's a 49-yarder, and he's probably going to make it. But Kansas City, they try to get closer because they're not coached by Mike McCarthy. So it's probably safe to assume that he's going to kick a field goal and they're going to win. And then talk shows the next day, they're going to take it and run with it, right? And instead, they hand it off on that second and three to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And OA, the rookie from Baltimore, runs in, hits him, ball pops out, scramble, Baltimore comes out with it. Now the game is not over because Kansas City has three timeouts. And they make three consecutive stops, setting up a fourth and one at Baltimore's own 43 with one minute to go. Nursing a one-point lead. If you're punting that ball back, it's Patrick Mahomes there. And all they got to do is get in field goal range. Uh, And I think the general sentiment would be a lot like it was in the opening game of the season when Dallas got conservative and kicked a field goal with time to spare. And everybody felt... You just gave the ball back to Tom Brady, and we know how this story ends. A Ryan suck-up attempt that he ended up making and winning the game. So John Harbaugh was not Mike McCarthy in this particular instance. He said, I'm going to trust in what brought us here. I'm going to trust in the strength of my team. Strength of my team, it's Lamar Jackson. And particularly, it's Lamar Jackson running. So fourth and one, his own 43 a turnover essentially guarantees that Kansas City is going to have a field goal attempt to win. Snap to a Lamar in the shotgun. Run straight ahead. First down. Everybody's hugging. That's a tone setter. It's not just for this game. It's a way of life for a team and a coach. Uh, when you make decisions like that, it sends a vibe that we are here to win this football game. We're not here to punt it back to Patrick Mahomes and say, hopefully we can stop him. Uh, It sends the vibe that we are going to seize this game. And if we don't, so be it. But we went down trying to put the ball into the hands of our best player. That is Lamar Jackson. So now Lamar gets the praise. And rightfully so. Lamar is fantastic. I plan on talking about him later this week because I think he's an interesting person to examine when it comes to just public sentiment and opinion uh, surrounding a football player and how it can just so easily be swayed depending upon wins and losses. However, if Clyde Edwards-Hilaire holds onto that ball and Harrison Butker comes in and kicks the game-winning field goal, I can assure you what the topic of discussion today is on ESPN and on Fox Sports and on any affiliate of your choice. It's that Lamar Jackson is now 0-4 against the Chiefs and he is just not good enough to beat Patrick Mahomes. He's just, he's just not and let's talk about these terrible interceptions from the first half and ignore all of the great things that he still brought to the table throughout this game. Let's, let's just laugh at Lamar Jackson and his repeated failures as quarterback. That's what would be talked about today. Because we love just boiling every single football game down to wins and losses. This is how easily discourse is manipulated in football. A sport that is predominantly decided upon the margins. Now, that's why it is the best sport on earth. However, it's also that reason that this sport will drive you to insanity. When you gamble on it and when you sit at home and root for your favorite team. 
Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel at CEO.com.